Well, please turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. St. Paul the Apostle's epistle to the church at Rome, chapter 12. <clears throat> and look there to what is probably a familiar passage of Scripture in verse 1. Writing to the Romans, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Let's ask ourselves some questions about that. Why is Paul's exhortation reasonable? Second, what, what is a sacrifice? What is the apostle asking us to do here? What is the hindrance to us doing it? And finally, can we do it? Or how can we do it? Listen to it again. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Why is that reasonable? Why is that our reasonable service? Why does he call it that? When Paul calls that sacrifice reasonable, he uses the Greek term logikos. And I'm sure that you can hear in that Greek word another word with which you're quite familiar. It's the word logic, and it has to do with that science concerned with the principle of valid reasoning. Well, you know that Paul is a much-studied man. And when he invokes that term, he's, he's telling us that valid reasoning, logic, correct rationality, right thinking, will lead us to conclude that we should present our bodies as sacrifices, though still alive, to God. It's like you saying, be logical. What should you do? You should sacrifice yourself to God. And in saying that, the apostle, and the apostle is very well aware of what he's saying. He's also saying, listen, he's also saying that if that is not our conclusion, then there's a wrong step somewhere in our reasoning. You understand? He's asserting an argument and saying, this is what's reasonable. And if you come to a different conclusion, you're unreasonable. Somewhere, if you don't conclude this, you're irrational. Because I, Paul, God's holy apostle, I'm giving you the right answer. Here's the answer. So how is it reasonable? Well, the old preacher said, when you see the word, therefore, in your Bible, you need to ask yourself what it's there for. Linguistically, <laughs> therefore, is a connective, indicating a causal or a logical relationship. It's a conjunction linking the present idea, this idea that we should offer ourselves as sacrifices to something that's been explained before. That's what it's there for. So since this is the first verse of Romans 12, we have to ask, what was it that Paul was discussing in Romans 11? 
And very briefly, we're not going to study Romans 11 this morning, but he's showing the unity of Jew and Gentile in Jesus, in Christ. And there in the latter part of Romans 11, he explains how wild pagan Gentiles, and he calls them wild olives, get saved by, as it were, being grafted into a good olive tree. And there's more there, but essentially what he's been teaching is this. He's been teaching that in, the, in light of the way that you Romans got saved, and they got saved the same way that we did, by the sovereign electing grace of God, in light of that, in light of that, he's saying, the reasonable thing for you to do is to offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. So how is that reasonable? And beloved, listen, I believe that it is ever only reasonable to Christians. What I'm saying is Paul's argument is only logical, rational, reasonable to a spiritual intelligence, to the spiritual intelligence of a new heart, of a renewed and redeemed mind. That's the only mind that can really understand his argument. And what is his argument? Well, he's made it before, and it's this. And and listen carefully, because it's not simple. You Gentiles, he teaches, you were dead. You were dead. Spiritually, virtually dead. Dead in sin. With no hope and without God in the world. And by his electing grace, in a great mystery, God saved you and grafted you like a wild olive into a good tree, good vine. And he's made you Gentiles into spiritual Israelites. You're his chosen people. And because of your spiritual aliveness, You're not primarily alive to yourself, to your own desires, but you are now chiefly alive spiritually to God. That's his reasoning. And his conclusion is this. Since you are God's, since he's really raised you from death, since you're his, since he owns you, you should recognize this. And by an intelligent, determined, voluntary, willful presentation of your body as a sacrifice to him, as a living sacrifice, that's the way to recognize it. A sacrifice not of compulsion, not as a ritual, but freely, with reason, on purpose. That's reasonable, he argues. That's logical. In light of your new life in Christ, you're not dead in sin anymore. You're alive. You should sacrifice yourself to God. I hope you you followed that. That type of argument is not unique in Paul. um, Or it's not unique here. He uses the same type of argument in 2 Corinthians, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 6 against sexual immorality. Remember this? In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20, 
The Bible says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? Listen, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, listen, there Paul is exhorting those Corinthian Christians not to be involved in sexual sin. And he explains that that is unreasonable. It's unreasonable. It's irrational for them to be sexual sinners because the bodies that they are using for that sin are not theirs. That's his argument. Those bodies are not your property. So scriptural rationality posits that man only has the full use of that which is his. And Paul affirms that we, in our bodies and our spirits, are not our own. You have no right, Christian, to take God's body and to use it in an immoral way. That's his his thought. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Apostrophe S. Possession. Ownership. Your God's. Now, this presupposed scriptural right of possession is that which makes created man guilty before God when he violates the command of his creator, of his owner. Why does God have a right to tell you what to do? Because he owns you. He made you. You're, you're his. You, apostrophe R-E, you are his. That's why I can snicker <coughs> about the idea of Dr. Faustus or Mick Jagger selling his soul to the devil. Oh, why would the devil buy something he already has? How can they sell something to the devil that he already has? Saints, don't you see? That's the reason why all humanity is accountable before God because he owns us, all of us, by virtue of creatorship. And therefore, he has a right to command us. And we've all disobeyed him. And not just in an abstract sense, and not just a long time ago in a garden but we've all existentially disobeyed. You, me, all of us. And if you say you haven't, then you're a liar and the truth is not in you. That's just John, not me. But back to us, the converted. We don't kick against this idea, do we? Do you know that God owns you? Are you okay with that? Well, (laughs) the proper intellectual stance for the Christian about your body is it's not mine. It's his. And that's why he, that's, that's the way he commands us. If my body 
is, and, and Scripture affirms this, virtually dead. And I only have it alive as a sacred trust from God. Then how should I use it? For His glory. For His glory. And if that's true, well, yeah, since that is true, then it is reasonable, rational, for us to acknowledge it by presenting ourselves to God as sacrifices, though alive. Well, that's, that's what I've got about Paul's appeal to reason in his argument. But in light of that exhortation, that we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, let's ask the next question. What is a sacrifice? And my desktop dictionary was pretty good on this. It says, a sacrifice is, quote, the act of making an offering to a deity in worship or atonement. Also, quote, that which is offered. So as a verb... The sacrifice is the act of making the offering. And as a noun, it's the object offered. So I could say, I sacrifice a sacrifice. Verb, noun. Well, you know that the history of God's people is a history of sacrifice. God made the first sacrifice that we're told about. You remember back after the fall to hide the nakedness of man? What did he give them? They, they, they sewed together fig leaves, itchy leaves. And God came and said, that's, that's not good enough. And he gave them animal skins. Something had to die to be skinned. My mother used to say she would skin me alive, but something had to die. Genesis 3.21. From antiquity, men have offered sacrifices in worship to God, as Noah did when he left the ark. And later, the whole Hebraic system of sacrifices is instituted and regulated and well-documented. Atonement is made by blood, and blood comes by sacrifice. You know, the teaching of Holy Scripture is that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And in sacrifice... Blood is shed. Life is taken in a sacrifice. You know that in the Old Covenant system, there were required sacrifices and there were voluntary sacrifices. There were oblations, there were sin offerings, there were peace offerings, meat offerings, drink offerings, free will offerings, evening offerings, morning offerings, burnt offerings, all different kinds of sacrificial offerings. But what the Apostle Paul is calling for here in Romans 12.1 is for a voluntary sacrifice of worship. He's calling for a, quote, free will, unquote, offering. So what is he asking us to do here? Well, you know that in the Old Covenant Hebrew economy, sacrifices were presented before God at the altar, ready to be offered to Him. But in Paul's statement here, we, we are to be the sacrifice. Your bodies, you're the sacrifice. And you remember in the Old Covenant system that 
sacrifices were offered by priests. Only the qualified are to offer sacrifices. You remember how Saul lost the kingdom? He got in a hurry. He got hasty and didn't wait for Samuel. And you remember that famous phrase? To obey is better than sacrifice. Kingdom is taken from you and given to your better, your neighbor. Only the qualified are to offer sacrifices. And sacrifices are are to be given fully to God. They're presented by the offerer who transfers all right, title, and interest in the sacrifice to God. But listen, in Paul's metaphor here, we are both the priest and the sacrifice. We are both the sacrificer and the sacrifice. We are the offerer and the offering. Now, Peter teaches that because we're Christians, we are both a holy and a royal priesthood, able to acceptably offer sacrifices to God. You are priests and priestesses of the Most High God, qualified to offer sacrifices to God. You are, Peter teaches. In Christ, Peter teaches, God has made us kings and priests, actually a kingdom of priests. And Paul agrees with Peter. And so, brothers and sisters, in the New Testament, these apostles teach us that because we're Christians, we are priests and priestesses to the Almighty, to Almighty God, and we are able to make a sacrifice of ourselves to God. And Paul here beseeches us, exhorts us. He says, I beseech you. Do that. Offer a sacrifice to God. Well, what, Paul? You. Yourself. Now, what does that really mean? (laughs) If you look back a few chapters to Romans 6, and you're probably very familiar with this, look down to Romans 6, verse 13. This is a... It's the same idea. Romans 6, 13, Paul says... Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We're to recognize our virtual, physical, and absolute spiritual deadness apart from God. And consequently, We are to live our lives to and for Him. We're to yield our, quote, members to God. And that's 1611 language for bodies. We're to yield our bodies fully to God for His use. As with a free will offering, we're to transfer freely, voluntarily, willingly, right, title, ownership of ourselves to God. We're to acknowledge the truth. We're His. We are not our own. But listen, 
as a living sacrifice, we're not to die. We're to live a living sacrifice or to live as sacrifices. This is weird. Don't you see? (laughs) That has to sort of mean burning ourselves up or burning ourselves out for God. Our lives are to flame up, to burn as sweet-smelling savors, as sacrifices to our God. That phrase, to live as a sacrifice, it, it sounds like a good book title to me. If it's not one, maybe it should be. Christians are to live as sacrifices. I know youth ministers sometimes encourage the young people to be on fire for God. Have you heard that? And I guess if that means using your members, your body, as a living sacrifice for God, if that's what it means, I guess I agree with that. Be on fire for the Lord. I think that if you can see with spiritual eyes, if you have beatific vision, and Christians do, then this vision of sacrifice cannot leave you with any possibility of a nominal Christianity. I mean, you understand? I mean, Jesus says, I want you. You're mine. What are you going to do with me? Whatever I want to. What do you think about that? I'm all for it, sir. I'm happy about it. That's the idea. If we can truly see with spiritual eyes, that metaphor will erase any possibility of a lackadaisical Christianity. It's just not, it just won't work. It's all in or not. You're going to get burned up. This thing's going to consume you. Yep, that's the idea. That's the idea. Who are you? What are you? American? Texan? Oh, what? Christian. My number one identity. Sacrifice. Paul teaches that we're to give our lives to Christ. Unless you think that's too abstract, God wants your body. (laughs) He wants your physical life. He wants you to honor Him in the way you use your body, your flesh, and your mind. Now, I had five questions. Fourthly, what's hindering us from doing this? What are the hindrances? Well, we could easily say the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? It's always a good answer to what hinders a Christian. But let's go a little deeper because I, I think Paul's strange metaphor here reveals exactly what the main hindrance is. His very metaphor reveals what the hindrance is. Where else in the Bible do you ever hear of a living sacrifice? I'll answer that for you because I did the control F. Nowhere. Nowhere. This is the only place. And listen, a living sacrifice, what is that? Do you understand? That sounds like a misnomer. 
sounds like a, a mix-up, actually. Because you see, sacrifices aren't alive. Not after they're offered. That was Abraham's problem with Isaac, right? That was the problem. You see, a killing is involved. You know that a sacrifice must be killed. It's necessarily destroyed in the process of the offering. But not Paul's sacrifice here. It's still alive. It's a living sacrifice. And listen, listen, here's the hindrance. The problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off of the altar. I hope you got an image in your mind. The problem with a living sacrifice, it just keeps crawling off the altar. That which should be dead keeps writhing around like a snake with its head cut off. I can remember my papa saying, son, he's dead, he just don't know it yet. If you've ever seen a snake with its head cut off, it writhes for a while. That's the problem. That's the issue. That's the hindrance. Do you want to present your body a living sacrifice to God? Yes, I do. Right now. The problem is is that though we're alive to Christ, we're not dead to the flesh. Though we've been made spiritually alive... Our sin nature is still kicking, writhing. As Sammy Hagar would say, it's alive and it's kicking inside of me. Our flesh keeps on wandering off, walking away, slipping off the altar of sacrifice, crawling off, asserting its rights, announcing its desires, Reminding us that being sacrificed is not a lot of fun. This seems unpleasant. The world, the flesh, and the devil are definitely hindrances to the Christian life. But the problem here is that Romans 7 problem that the Apostle describes in language that all Christians can identify with. It's the problem of the undead. It's that old man that keeps reminding us, hey, 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 I'm still here. Don't forget about me. I'm still alive. Just like the night of the living dead, this keeps coming back. Thought I killed you. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm still here. Remember? So the primary problem of a living sacrifice is that adjective, living. The sacrifice is alive. And it doesn't want to be sacrificed. It doesn't want to die. An older preacher I knew told me that he was in a seminary class and Billy Graham came to visit and spoke to a whole bunch of young preachers. And he said, I heard Billy Graham tell this, this classroom full of young preachers, gentlemen, the lust problem will be over 
when they nail the lid shut on your coffin. Well, if Billy Graham actually said that, I agree. Because though in regeneration we are now alive to the Spirit, our flesh still lives. And a saint as great as the Apostle Paul, if a saint as great as the Apostle Paul struggled against the flesh, how much more you and me? The hindrance, the problem for us is our flesh doesn't want to be sacrificed. And we live in the flesh. And it's so easy to side with it, that is with the flesh. And often it's hard to side with the Spirit against the flesh. But saints, listen, God calls us to do just that. To side with the Spirit against the flesh. So, fifthly, or finally, how, how can we do it? How can we present or offer ourselves as living sacrifices to our God? Well, we noted that it's very important to understand what a sacrifice is. And I mentioned before about the formal transfer when the offerer brought the sacrifice to the priest to be offered to God. We said sacrifices are to be given fully to God. They're presented by the offerer who transfers the right and the title, the interest in the sacrifice to God. And at that point, when the sacrifice was given over to be sacrificed, the offerer had no more use for it. You see, at that point, it was virtually dead to him when he handed it over to be sacrificed. He considered it dead already because it had been fully given over for the purpose of sacrifice, which necessarily involved death. So the offerer considered the sacrifice as dead. No good to me anymore. Listen, he had, quote, reckoned it dead. And he had acted in accordance with that reckoning with that consideration. So, in the same manner that the offerer reckons that the sacrifice is dead, virtually, when he offers it, just so, we are to reckon ourselves dead. We are to consider it so. Dead to our flesh. And here, the flesh doesn't mean the meat that's on your bones. It's the carnal, the fleshly, fallen nature. And you're familiar with Romans 6, that great passage where the apostle examines the Christian's identity in Jesus, in his death on Calvary, but also in his resurrection and renewed life. And in verse 7, or verse 11, Romans 6, he says, Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So one way we're to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God involves a reckoning. 
Now, reckoning is another term of reason, of logic. Did you hear the old timers that would say that? You going to do blah, blah, blah? I reckon so. I reckon so. We must consider. We must agree with Paul's doctrine of our identification with Christ. And we must count it so. We must reckon it so. Well, I don't feel dead to sin. I didn't ask you how you felt. What do you reckon? So listen, part of our sacrifice is in believing, embracing the Pauline doctrine. But that's not all. We are to do some things. We are to reckon. And we are not to do some things. So with apostolic authority, Paul instructs us not to use Christ's body for sin. And you remember that teaching, we looked back at it, that we're not our own, but we're Christ. So Paul says that we should not, no, actually more than that, we have no right to use Christ's body for any sinful purpose. We are to be about the business of what the old divines called mortification of the flesh. In Colossians 3.5, Paul tells the Colossians, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. In Romans 8.13, he tells the Roman saints, if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. So the, the, the apostolic teaching is, is that we are all to be actively involved in, quote, mortifying, unquote, our flesh. Putting to death the deeds of the old man. And the word mortify comes from two old Latin words. Mortis, meaning death, and facere, to make. So it, it literally means to make dead or to put to death. So, listen, Paul's not talking about committing suicide. You understand that? He's talking about actively putting to death the old sinful nature. And Paul teaches that in life, listen, we're to be actively dying. And this is a great Christian paradox. Because in dying to ourselves... We embrace real, spiritual, eternal life in Christ. So we're to believe. We're to reckon. We're to act. We're to mortify. In light of our belief, we're to act. That's simple, but it's profound. The doing is hard. We're to seek to be filled with the Spirit of God. We're to cultivate our own gardens. We're to practice the presence of God. We're to desire more of Him within us. We're to make war on our flesh, our old fallen nature. And we're to make peace with the Spirit, with the holy nature.
So saints, listen. If the problem of a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar, then we must keep putting it back on. We must put it back on the altar again and again and again because we must sacrifice. You remember that the new birth is not primarily an ending, but a beginning. And to mix metaphors here, it's the beginning of a sacrifice. The new birth is. You see, really becoming alive in Christ is a beginning to mortifying, to putting to death the old man. So strangely, the new birth, regeneration, the entrance into spiritual life, it's also another kind of beginning, the beginning of putting to death the old fleshly nature. So what we're saying is this, listen. In the same way that our birth into the kingdom of God Our regeneration was not the end. Rather, it was the beginning of our living for Christ. In that same way, our regeneration is the beginning of our dying to our flesh. And Paul teaches that we live more to Christ as we die more to ourselves. The more we live to Christ, the more we'll die to our flesh. So, so there's, a, there's a sense in which this seeking to be filled with the Spirit involves a perpetual killing. Well, what should I do about my sinful desires? Kill it. Kill them. How... How... how Serious should I be about that? Militant. Ruthless. Kill them. Kill them. Kill them. In light of what Christ has done for us, in light of God's election of us according to His sovereign grace, it's logical. It's rational. It's most reasonable to make the most awesome sacrifice that we could make, the sacrifice of our own lives to God. And I'm not talking about, listen, I'm not talking about dying for God in martyrdom. I'm talking about living for Him. Living your life for Him. And the main hindrance, the main hindrance to us doing that is our flesh, which is very much alive and kicking. And we, we must mortify it. We must kill it. We must die to it perpetually. And listen, by God's grace, we can. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is reasonable service. Please pray with me. Father, we thank You for new life in Jesus. 
We thank You for such a kind and gentle Savior. Father, we thank You for the compassion that calls to us and says, Come to Me. I will give You rest. Learn of Me. Oh, Father, I pray that in meekness and lowliness we might put to death our old sinful natures and that we might embrace and celebrate the new life from Your Spirit within us. Would You enliven and comfort Your saints this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.